Here it is! From deep inside your audio device of choice. Seems like a long time ago, it was this week, that the jury in the Derek Chauvin, Chauvin case, as in Chauvinist, Chauvin, uh, the Derek Chauvin case returned a unanimous verdict of guilty on all three counts. My, I think, enduring memory of uh, that case, it's the first trial I've watched in toto since uh, both O.J. Simpson trials. Thank you. And there were a lot of memorable moments, of course. But uh, my favorite was when the defense suggested that the cause of death of George Floyd had been carbon monoxide poisoning because he was down on the ground next to the police vehicle. Of course, he was at the front end, not the back end. Busy street, out in the open. But the, uh, the, the killer punchline to all of it was, and I think this was unrebutted by the defense, the, uh, car, the police car in question was a hybrid. So he might have been electrocuted, but he... And now, ladies and gentlemen, what the frack? California's governor has moved to ban new fracking permits by 2024 and halt all oil extraction by 2045. Well, we'll be empty by then. We. I'm in California this week. California produces the third largest amount of oil in the country. It would be the first state to end all extraction. Doesn't count teeth. Governor Gavin Newsom's executive order was issued on Friday. It paves the way for the state to stop issuing new fracking permits within the next few years. That's according to The Guardian. Gives uh, the California Department of Conservation until 2024 to draft a mandate. Or to man and draft date. The order also directs the California Air Resources Board to evaluate how to enact a ban on all extraction over the next 25 years. The agency will study the environmental and health benefits of ending oil extraction and determine how to mitigate the effect on local economies. The order is a bold reversal for Governor Newsom, who had initially resisted calls to enact a narrower ban on new fracking permits, arguing that he lacked the authority. Apparently he found the authority. Fracking only accounts for about 1.5% of California's oil production. It gets fuel out of the ground, as you know, by using water and chemicals to crack open geological formations and stimulate them (laughs) to release gas or oil. The risk involved includes earthquakes, water contamination, disastrous spills, and fracking and other types of extraction are dangerous for the people who live near drilling sites. Imagine that, causing higher rates of asthma and cancer, as well as preterm births. So if you're in a hurry to have your baby, you know where to move. Hello, welcome to the show. What do you think? Downtown is burning tonight. Makes you think. Why did it take so long? We're on the brink. How many suns must go down 
From the home of the homeless, I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of our friend the Adam. Save to save to me. Save, save to save to me. 
The man who predicted the world's worst nuclear disaster since Chernobyl, he sees another one coming. Quote, there's a very strong possibility that there will be another nuclear disaster in Japan. And the company running the biggest nuclear plant in Japan cannot be trusted. Those are the words of Toshio Kimura, a nuclear engineer who predicted Japan's 2011 disaster at Fuk six years before it happened. And he makes this bold new prediction in the Daily Beast. He's referring, of course, to TEPCO, which operated Fuk a year after the incident. An investigation by a Japanese parliamentary panel concluded that, quote, although triggered by the cataclysmic events, i.e. the uh, earthquake and the tsunami, quote uh, again, the disaster was profoundly man-made and can be attributed to a multitude of errors and willful negligence that left the Fukushima plant unprepared for those events, unquote. Last week, Japan's Nuclear Regulation Authority effectively banned TEPCO as you know, if you were listening here, from restarting another plant at Kashiwazaki, one of the largest nuclear power facilities in the world, after the complex was found to be riddled, not joked, but riddled, with major security flaws that could make it a target for terrorists. Sixteen locations in which unauthorized entry was possible at the plant. They had The company had lied about the backup systems that were supposed to correct the problem. Well, if you don't have the backup, you got to lie. It's just another example of this company covering up misdeeds, as they always do. It can only be said that TEPCO is not qualified in any way to be running a nuclear power plant. Those are the words of Kimura. He retired from the company in 2005. He has a new book out, How Nuclear Energy Will Destroy the Nation, so you know where he stands. He points out TEPCO's persistent cover-ups have resulted in nuclear safety regulations that are fundamentally flawed. Now, it's clear Japan's nuclear authority agrees with him. The announcement that uh, they won't let TEPCO restart the plant until, quote, the company reaches a state where self-sustained improvement can be expected, unquote. The... Uh, head of the regulatory authority at a press conference earlier this year, speaking of TEPCO and its failure to take effective alternative measures to deal with security issues, said, quote, was it dishonesty? Did they realize the problem and do nothing? Is there a problem with their technological prowess? Are they just effing with us? Unquote. Ooh. It's kind of hot. Not as hot as the uh, spent fuel pools, but, you know. Experts say Japan's nuclear hazards, hazards are far from fixed. Quote, TEPCO has lied and falsified crucial safety data for as long as it has operated nuclear plants. A year or so delay is a slap on the wrist for a company that has misled regulators and systematically shortchanged safety. That's according to Jeff Kingston, a professor at Tokyo's Temple University, who has researched Japan's nuclear crisis for over a decade. It will gain approval, he says, once it avoids shooting itself in the foot. There are still four operating nuclear reactors in four Japanese prefectures. All of them are plagued with safety issues like malfunctioning coolant pumps, steam leaks, steam leaks, 
and inadequate anti-terrorism measures. The Kansai Electric Power Company, KEPCO, not TEPCO, which operates two of the nuclear power plants, is at the center of a corruption scandal involving massive bribes and payoffs to and from a city official over three decades. Late last year, the Osaka District Court ruled that two reactors at its Oi nuclear plant in Fukui were vulnerable to a major earthquake, despite having been approved to restart by the regulatory authority. Last year, KEPCO's, KEPCO, not TEPCO's, Takahama plant had to suspend operations at two nuclear reactors after failing to build adequate counterterrorism facilities. Another plant in Sega, or Saga, operated by Kyushu, has also suffered a host of problems since it was reactivated March 2018, including your, your now familiar steam leaks and malfunctioning cooling pumps. Last month, a local district court rejected by a, a lawsuit by residents to halt production, ruling that the company's plant was sufficiently safe from volcanic and seismic activity. Japan's nuclear power plants have long been notorious for poor security, were often supplied manpower for that purpose by organized crime groups, before and after Fook. Even now, background checks are not mandatory. Two former prime ministers from rival parties held a joint press conference a couple months ago calling for Japan to abandon nuclear power. But wait, there's less. A finance minister, Taro Aso of Taiwan, said last week, it would be safe to drink the water that will be released into the Pacific from the Fuk nuclear power plant. Water is going to be treated, but will still contain tritium, our old friend. A couple of days ago, Xie Shuxing, the chairman of Taiwan's Atomic Energy Council, that's the nuclear regulator in that company, told reporters, of course the water would not be suitable to drink. Previously, a spokesman for China's foreign ministry said to Aso, he should make such a comment after drinking the water. The Pacific is not Japan's sewage system. I think it's everybody's sewage system, ladies and gentlemen. A mascot-style character representing the radioactive material tritium in a government pamphlet on the safety of that treated water. You know it had a mascot. Well, it's been changed to the letter T. <laughs> following a barrage of criticism over the original design and its effect of trivializing the issue. And amid rising concerns over Japan's planned disposal of water from the nuke plant into the ocean, fish containing radioactive substances exceeding safety standards have been caught in waters near Fuk, according to KBS, which I believe is a Korean news service. Quoting the Japanese daily Asahi Shimbun, 270 becquerels per kilogram of cesium, cesium, I hardly knew him, were found in a rockfish caught in the waters some 37 meters deep near Fuk, actually is a, a city in the Fuk prefecture, Minamisoma. The detected amount of cesium is about 2.7 times the standard per kilogram set by the Japanese government. So it's safe to drink. In February this year, a rockfish caught near Fuk contained 500 becquerels. The limit set by Japan is 100. 
Tokyo ordered restrictions on shipments of rockfish from the Fuk region this week. The first time the government has imposed such restrictions on Fuk seafood products in two years. Clean, cheap, safe. Too safe to drink. Our friend the Atom. Of course, we'll be back to Japan when we sample news of the Olympic movement. But now, let's have some apologies of the week. Shan't we? It's a regular C, shan't we? An elementary school in upstate New York is apologizing after a lesson falsely taught students that slaves came to the United States by choice. (laughs) What year is it? Pittsford Central School District Superintendent of Schools Michael Pirro, this is upstate, near Syracuse, I believe, issued a statement this week after a parent complained when a fourth grade class at Jefferson Road Elementary used a worksheet on slavery during colonial times. The paper asked four questions, including why did slaves come to America? With a fill-in-this-blank answer, quote, as an exchange for the trip to America, African Americans agreed to work for colonists for years, but then were kept as slaves, unquote. It, al- it also asked what kind of job slaves worked on and suggested churning butter was one of them. Quote, The worksheet was in no way an accurate depiction of slavery during colonial times and was highly insensitive in tone, said the school district superintendent. He continued, we immediately met with the staff members involved in this lesson and have taken steps to remedy the situation. I would like to thank the parent who brought this to our attention. We've reached out to them in order to make a full apology for the use of this worksheet. We've also reached out to parents of the entire class to share this error and apologize for it. The worksheet was used in January, sparked controversy at other schools across the country, including in the Rochester area. Now, Rochester. Dateline London British authorities apologized Thursday after an investigation found that at least 161,000 mostly African and Indian military service personnel who died during World War I weren't properly honored due to, quote, pervasive racism, unquote said the number could possibly get up to 350,000. Investigation found those service members were either not commemorated by name or weren't commemorated at all. I guess by number, according to a report commissioned by the Commonwealth War Graves Commission. Between 45,000 and 54,000 other casualties were, quote, commemorated unequally. Unquote. The treatment of these soldiers who served in Africa, Asia, and the Middle East contrasts with that of the men and women who died in Europe. It also violates the principle that all war dead should be remembered in the same way. Because, you know, of the thing. Quote, on behalf of the Commonwealth War Graves, war Graves Commission and the government, both of the time and today, I want to apologize for the failures to live up to their founding principles all those years ago and express deep regret it has taken so long to rectify the situation. That's Defense Secretary Ben Wallace. Whilst we can't change the past, we can make amends and take action. And say whilst. The commission was created in way back in 1917 to ensure that all who died in the service of the British Empire during World War I were identified and properly honored. Its responsibilities were later expanded to include those who died during World War II. And when World War III comes, the Winston-Salem, North Carolina City Council has approved a re- resolution calling for federal and state action to establish a commission to study the issue of reparations for black citizens and apologizing for the city's participation 
in urban renewal programs. The resolution passed 7-1 to during the last city council meeting beginning of the week. It's similar to resolutions passed in other North Carolina municipalities last year after the thing in Minneapolis involving Derek Chauvin killing George Floyd. The assistant city manager said the city council started talks about reparations in August of 2020. And the resolution includes apologizing for participation in slum clearance and urban renewal programs that, while providing infrastructure that allowed the city to grow, did so at the expense of multiple successful black businesses and homes, i.e., we call them neighborhoods. Same thing happened in New Orleans. A lot of other places, too, apparently. Speaking of reparations, it's, um, it's my sad duty to inform you that reparations in this country have already been been paid at the uh, very end of slavery to the slave owners for the loss of their property. Look it up. Deadline Omaha, Omaha radio personality Chris Baker was fired Wednesday after posting an an offensive tweet about the Derek Chauvin verdict. The area president for iHeartRadio in Nebraska, C. Taylor Wale III, said Baker had been fired from KFAB that afternoon. His tweet was completely inappropriate and unacceptable while it said in the statement, or Wale, please know that this does not represent our viewpoint or our values. The values of iHeartRadio. You know, 800 stations? That's value. And we take this situation very seriously, he said. The tweet, posted soon after the verdict, featured a gif of four black men wearing loincloths and body paint and dancing, possibly with spears in front of them. Above the picture was the proclamation, guilty. Baker said the image that accompanied his tweet was a boomer Twitter moment. That's not me. That's not who I really am. I bet he's not really Chris Baker either. He said he inadvertently selected the wrong image while doing multiple things at once, hosting his show, lining up guests, and monitoring the unfolding news after the verdict. He said he tried to get the tweet taken down right away, but struggled to do so. And he didn't have a knee on his neck. Asked if he thought the tweet as it appeared was racist, he responded, I don't know if that's a fair question. As horrible as what it was, there's a difference between intentional and being a fat-fingered boomer on Twitter. Fat-fingered boomer on Twitter. I don't look at black people that way. Asked to describe the image he was seeking, he said, People celebrating. Baker is known for lampooning others. Why would you do that? And he says he doesn't expect people to believe his explanation. I apologize for a stupid move. I apologize for the mistake. I'd like another gig. Manchester... Oh, sorry, yes, this is Manchester in Great Britain. City, Manchester City, that's the football team in Manchester, one of the two. Chief Executive Farron Soriano apologized to supporters for the disappointment, frustration, and anguish caused by the club's involvement in the European Super League. In case you missed it, it only lasted, it only existed for two days this week, the European Super League. It was the uh, Anthony Scaramucci of soccer soccer leagues. City, Manchester City, were the first of the 12 founders to officially back out of the whole setup on Tuesday amid a storm of protests from fans, players, and the British government. The other five English clubs quickly followed suit. 
I'm sorry it has taken a little time, but the circumstances have been somewhat exceptional, Soriano said in a letter to supporters. When we make choices and decisions, we do so with the best interests of the club. However, in making that choice, we fail to remind ourselves of the unbreakable link between passion of our fans and right to have the opportunity to earn success. The board deeply regrets taking a decision that lost sight of the historic values of the club. They're your values again. We made a mistake, and we sincerely apologize for the disappointment, frustration, and anguish caused by the last 72 hours. Joy Bihar Behar has apologized after repeatedly misgendering Caitlyn Jenner on The View during a discussion about the former Olympic athlete's bid for California governor. She might not end fracking. That's just a wild guess. Behar used the pronouns he and his in reference to Jenner, who came out as transgender in 2015 and uses female pronouns. Behar later took time on air to apologize for her comments. First of all, let me apologize for my pronoun mix-up, she said. I think I just didn't get enough sleep last night. I had no intention of mixing them up, and I tried to correct it immediately. But whatever, it just came out. So I'm sorry if anybody was upset by that. Unquote. She said. Major League Soccer, that's in this country, United States, announced that Galaxy midfielder Sebastian Letget will be suspended for a whole two games for his use of an anti-gay slur in an Instagram video that has since been deleted. Back to that European Super League. John Henry, the principal owner of the Liverpool football team in England, as well as the Boston Red Sox, said in a video shared on Twitter, I want to apologize to all the fans and supporters of Liverpool Football Club for the disruption I've caused over the past 48 hours. He was one of the clubs. He ran one of the clubs. He runs one of the clubs that got into the Super League and then scampered out. Arsenal Football Club apologized in an open letter to their fans that was published on the team's website. The response from supporters in recent days has given us time for further reflection and deep thought. It was never our intention to cause such distress. However, when the invitation to join the Super League came while knowing... He didn't whilst. While knowing there were no guarantees, we did not want to be left behind to ensure we protected Arsenal and its future. As a result of listening to you and the wider football community over recent days, we're withdrawing from the proposed Super League. We made a mistake, and we apologize for it. End of soccer apologies for this week. The Oakland, California Unified School District apologized to both the the Arab-American and Jewish communities this week after a letter the school district sent upset both groups. They sent uh, out a message on Wednesday with the best of intentions to celebrate the month of Ramadan. and doing so, the message highlighted Middle Eastern North African Heritage Month, MENA. The Arab-American community was upset with the title MENA Heritage Month, reminded the district that April is actually Arab-American Heritage Month, according to the apology email. Meanwhile, the Jewish community was upset that the map of the Middle East in an attached slide presentation didn't include Israel. Quote, in both cases, we made mistakes and we apologize, the apology said (laughs) in the Department of Redundancy Department. The district communications team said going forward, they will be consulting a wider, more diverse group when assembling any message like this regarding any and all racial, ethnic or religious groups and historical divisions to ensure that we give the most accurate representation of the people, regions and cultures we're discussing, unquote, or at least check a map. And 
Tesla is coming in under increasing pressure in China. Two government entities are firing off missives about the company's behavior and treatment of its customers in a single day. They treat customers badly in China, too, huh? That is a worldwide company. The trouble started when China's state-run news agency released a press release that said, or I guess you'd call it a news story, that said the quality of Tesla's EVs must meet market expectations in order to win consumers' trust. The California-based company should address consumer hesitation over purchasing its cars after issues ranging from malfunctioning brakes to blazes during the vehicle's charging emerged, according to the article. A few hours later, the Commission for Political and Legal Affairs of the Communist Party of China Central Committee weighed in, posting a commentary on its WeChat account that said the automaker should respect Chinese consumers and comply with local laws and regulations. Making an effort to find the cause of problems and improve features is something any responsible business should do, and Tesla hasn't done that, said the agency that oversees China's police, prosecutors, and court said. This appears to stem from an embarrassing incident Tesla had at the Shanghai Auto Show on Monday. An angry protester climbed on top of one of the display vehicles, shouting her car's brakes had lost control. Her protest was captured by scores of onlookers, uploading the footage to the Internet, helping to go viral. Tesla's booth at the show had a noticeably increased security presence. The woman, a Tesla owner from Henan, is widely known for having repeatedly protest, protested against Tesla's brake issue, the company said, adding it will work on solutions but, quote, never compromise against unreasonable demand. She will be detained for five days, according to police. woman was wearing a T-shirt with the words, The brakes don't work as uh, security struggled to restore calm. Late on Tuesday, Tesla, Tesla issued a statement apologizing for not addressing the customer's complaint in a timely manner. Don't I know about that? Five months is all. It said it would conduct a self-inspection of its service and operations in China. Those self-inspections are always the best. <laughs> It's a smart world after all It's a smart world after all It's a smart world after all It's a smart, smart world The CEO of Thodex That's a Turkish cryptocurrency exchange Established four years ago He's fled the country And left user funds Irretrievable. Farak Fatih Ozer, leaving the remaining assets of about 390,000 active users irretrievable, according to Bloomberg. Thodex's lawyer says the CEO fled Turkey because he would have been either arrested or committed suicide otherwise. He explained there was a liquidity problem with the exchange and there was a decline in Thodex's assets. When too many users demanded their money back, the company was unable to meet those. Um, a statement from Ozer on Thodex's website, website indicated a years-old hacking incident has caused the financial problem. From today on, my sole aim is to repay my debt to you, he said in a statement. 
addressed to the users, the day I repay all my debt, I will return to my country and give myself in to justice. And I will take a flying pig on the journey. Cosmic rays are causing an estimated 30 to 40,000 malfunctions in domestic network communication devices in Japan every year, according to Nippon Telegraph and Telephone. Most so-called soft errors, or temporary malfunctions, in the firm's hardware are automatically corrected by a safety device and experts said in some cases they may have led to disruption. It's the first time the actual scale of soft errors in domestic information infrastructures have been noted, made apparent, made evident. Soft errors occur when cosmic rays hit oxygen and nitrogen in the Earth's atmosphere, collide with the semiconductors conductors within the equipment. And the National Weather Service here in the United States experienced a major system-wide Internet failure this week, Tuesday morning as a matter of fact, making its forecasts and warnings inaccessible to the public and limiting the data available to its meteorologists. The outage, according to the Washington Post, highlights systemic, long-standing issues with its information technology infrastructure, which the agency has struggled, there's that struggle again, to address as demands for its services have increased. The services encountered numerous repeated problems with its Internet services in recent months, including a bandwidth shortage, the launch of a radar website that functioned inadequately and enraged users, a flood at its data center in Maryland that uh, stripped access to key Ocean Boy observations, problems with the stability and reliability of the Weather Service's information dissemination infrastructure date back to at least 2013. So open the window and put your hand outside.
Joining us now here on BBC Radio Croydon, straight out of literally the Where Are They Now file, <laughs> is uh, the great Derek Smalls. Derek, what brings you here today? Thanks, Steve. Um, you know, uh, rock and rollers have been weighing in on uh, COVID, COVID yeah. and masking yeah. and vaccines mm-hmm. and the lockdowns and all of that. Oh, yeah. Eric, yeah. Van, yeah. and Nuge. Yeah, especially. And I thought... Um, you know, it, it might be giving people the wrong impression really? that uh, that's where rockers are at. Yeah. And uh, I have certain feelings yep. about um, certain personages in the uh, other world Derek, uh, I uh, think uh, weigh uh, on this yeah, uh, uh, let's, tremendously. Let's do this. As opposed to hearing you talk more, let's hear the song. Win, win, win for Lucifer. He 
the virus and the shot. Don't be too hard on Satan. He created the whole COVID hoax. Now he's relaxing with some hot one under the flaming oaks. I know is my favorite prince he does a lot more than evil i tried his selection of men and been a fanboy ever since and now news of the olympic movement produced by jim ebersold III. The head of the Tokyo Olympics Committee was forced, that's the Associated Press's word, to assure the world that the postponed games will open in just over three months and not be canceled, despite surging COVID-19 cases in Japan. Organizing Committee President Seiko Hashimoto was asked at a news conference if there were any conditions under which the Olympics would be canceled. The General Secretary of the ruling LDP political party, Toshihiro Nikai, had raised the possibility the day before. There are a variety of concerns, but as the Tokyo 2020 Organizing Committee, we're not thinking about canceling the games, Ashimoto said. Nikai tried to backtrack a little bit later. After saying if the games caused a surge in infections, there would be no meaning to having the Olympics, Japanese Prime Minister Suga issued a statement saying there is no change to the government position to do everything to achieve a safe and secure Olympics. Music by composer Pyotr Tchaikovsky, Peter to us, will replace Russia's national anthem at this summer's Olympics, if it's held, and the Beijing Olympics in 2022. That's according to the country's Olympic Committee. The IOC has notified the Russian Olympic Committee that a fragment from Tchaikovsky's Concerto for Piano or Orchestra No. 1 had been approved, it said in a statement. Probably not the Glenn Gould version. Russian athletes are banned from taking part in major international events with their anthem and under their flag following a decision from the Court of Arbitration for Sport last year. It's like the People's Court or Food Court. Russian competitors also need to wear neutral clothing. Last week, Russia unveiled the blue, red, and white uniforms that the country's athletes will be wearing in Tokyo. It's blue, white, and red, ladies and gentlemen, not red, white, and blue. Don't be... And Japanese residents with tickets to the Tokyo Olympics may not know until weeks before the Games open if they'll be allowed to attend. You know, foreigners, excuse me, foreign visitors to Japan have been barred from the Olympics and can't get full refunds. We covered that story recently. On Wednesday, Organizing Committee President Hashimoto said, a decision on venue capacity or if there will be any fans at all may not be made until June. She had previously promised that decision for this month. We're still studying the timing, she said. June was an option. I guess we need a little more time to make a proper judgment. Unquote. Government Minister Taro Kano 
who's in charge of the vaccine rollout in Japan, hinted last week that empty venues seem likely as COVID-19 surges across Japan. Why are we doing this again? Oh, yes. It's a movement. The Olympics is. And we all need one. Every day. A bit of news of the warm now, ladies and gentlemen. California's wildfire problem, fueled by a concurrence of climate change and a heightened risk of human-caused ignitions in once uninhabited areas, it's been getting worse with each passing year of this century. Researchers at the University of California, Irvine, have conducted a thorough analysis of Cal forestry and fire protection wildfire statistics through this century so far. Comparing them with data from 1920 to 1999, they learned the annual burn season has lengthened in the past two decades, and the yearly peak has shifted from August to July. So we'll see in August. The team's findings are the subject of a study published in the open access journal Scientific Reports. It's a focused examination of fire frequency, burned area, and myriad drivers of the catastrophically destructive events. The team found the number of hotspots, places with severe fire risk, have grown significantly in recent years, fueled by annual mean temperatures getting higher, greater lack of air moisture, greater lack, drought, and an elevated chance of blazes being sparked through such human causes as power line disruptions, hello PG&E, construction, transportation, campfires, discarded cigarettes, and fireworks. Now. He's not a general. He commands no troops. He's not an inspector. He peeks at no stoops. He's an inspector general. Oh, yeah. This will surprise the heck out of you. The Trump administration sidelined career staffers at the Environmental Protection Agency when weakening pollution rules for new passenger vehicles. That's according to a federal watchdog report. The EPA's inspector general found top political leaders at the agency failed to properly document and consider the concerns of staff experts while unwinding standards for tailpipe emissions that had been set previously by President Obama. The report may provide fresh fodder, hello Mara, hello fodder, for the Biden administration to light, tighten mileage and greenhouse gas standards for new automobiles as part of a broader effort to phase out internal combustion engines and drastically cut the nation's climate warning, warming emissions. Department of Homeland Security's Inspector General released a report this week saying DHS had the legal authority to deploy agents and officers to Portland, Oregon last summer, but did not have a comprehensive strategy and was, quote, unprepared, unquote. DHS deployed Customs and Border Protection agents to Portland in the summer of 2020 to protect a federal courthouse after nights of protests in the aftermath of the murder of George Floyd. It did so under the legal authority to assist the Federal Protective Service, the new report says. The service protects federal buildings such as courthouses. At the time, then-acting Secretary of the DHS, Chad Wolf, slammed the governor and mayor of Oregon and Portland for not properly protecting the courthouse. But the report also said DHS was not up to the task 
and that not all officers were properly trained to respond to riots and to conduct crowd control operations. DHS was unprepared to effectively execute cross-component activities to protect federal facilities. It says, specifically, not all officers completed required training, had the necessary equipment, and used consistent uniforms, devices, and operational tactics when responding to the events in Portland. The report found that 14 of the 36 officers who were not properly trained did use a non-lethal weapon against a person in Portland. Hopefully that wasn't the same person. And the Trump administration, remember that, had created bureaucratic hurdles that delayed Puerto Rico's access to $20 billion in hurricane disaster recovery and mitigation funds. That's according to U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development's Inspector General. It concludes the federal government slowed down a probe into the matter. The investigation was opened in March 2019 at the request of Congress and evaluated how the policies and decisions affected the speed with which relief money was distributed. The federal report found that multiple administrative obstacles stalled the process of delivering aid, including a federal government shutdown, as well as moves by officials to add new layers of oversight, like bureaucracy. bureaucracy. I thought the Republicans were against that. And decisions to revise the grant requirements Puerto Rico had to meet. Brian Montgomery, former Deputy Secretary to the Housing Agency, told investigators that there was widespread sentiment among senior officials that red tape had, quote, unnecessarily delayed efforts to hand over disaster relief funding to Puerto Rico. The findings were released almost four years after a couple of hurricanes devastated the island nation, the island territory. Multiple local officials have said for years the Trump administration's policies toward the island harmed recovery efforts. In a statement, the governor of Puerto Rico denounced housing and urban development's management of relief money under the previous administration. HUD declined to comment, referring the Miami Herald to the report's findings. The Inspector General's office spoke to over 20 officials and reviewed electronic documents and communications. But access to people and records was delayed or denied in several instances, which ultimately negatively affected the investigation. Former Housing and Urban Development Secretary Ben Carson was not interviewed. He refused to speak without legal counsel present. The agency also demanded that other senior officials have a lawyer on hand while investigators collected testimony. Some of those same officials eventually agreed to be interviewed without counsel present, but then refused to answer questions because they claimed the information was protected from disclosure. The Office of Management and Budget, another key executive agency involved in the process of getting aid to Puerto Rico, did not offer any direct information to investigators. News of Inspectors General, copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And now finally, I just want to say one word to you. Just one word. Yes, sir. Are you listening? Yes, I am. Microplastics. Think about it. Will you think about it? Yes, I will. Enough said. A team of Florida State University researchers is looking at what inhalation and ingestion of these tiny particles can do to humans on 
the cellular level. Tom? The cellular level. I think that's it. Researchers found that exposure to microplastics for only a few days caused human lung cells to slow down their metabolism and growth, as well as change shapes and decluster so that gaps exist in what is typically a solid sheet of cells. Findings raise questions about the long-term effects of microplastics on human health, particularly for those who already have <laughs> respiratory conditions. The research is published in Chemical Research and Toxicology. I read it for the headlines. As if our lungs aren't being challenged enough news of microplastics, ladies and gentlemen. gentlemen, that's really going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week, same time, same stations on the radio thing, on your audio device of choice, whenever you want it, because that's the way we roll. And it would be just like that being the way we roll if you would agree to join with me then. Would you already? Thank you very much. Uh-huh. A tip of the show chapeau to the San Diego desk and to Pam Halstead. And to Thomas Walsh at WWNO New Orleans. And to Jenny Lawson for help with today's program. The email address for this program. Your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts. And the playlist of the music. All. They're spread before you like a bountiful... Digital Supper at harryshearer.com and I'm on Twitter at the Harry Shearer.
Well, ladies and gentlemen, there's just about a minute left here in the broadcast. Time for me to thank you for listening. Hopefully you do it more often than not. I do this thing every week. Love to have your company. And to thank uh, the folks along the line, the radio stations, and the podcast services that bring it to you. They don't have to, but they do. And in the podcast part of this program, for those of you who listen as a podcast, there are never going to be no mattress commercials with me telling you that my wife and I have spent the last three months on the best mattress of our lives. So there's that. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network. So long from the home of the homeless.